Welcome to What's Your Forte, presented by Bandology. Welcome to the second episode of What's Your Forte. This week, we have Dr. Catherine Ladano, an award-winning Canadian bass clarinetist from Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario. She's recorded multiple albums and has performed across Canada and internationally. Catherine holds a PhD from York University, a master's degree in bass clarinet performance from the University of Calgary, and an honors Bachelor of Arts from the University of Waterloo. Dr. Ludano is heavily involved in both creative and educational work. She is currently the artistic director of NUMIS, which is one of Canada's foremost new music organizations based out of Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario. She also works at Wilfrid Laurier University where she teaches improvisation and is the director of ICE. ICE stands for the Improvisations Concerts Ensemble and the bass clarinet instructor at the University of Waterloo. I've had the pleasure of being in the Laurier Improvisations Concert Ensemble this past school year, and I had the pleasure of performing and learning from Dr. Catherine Ladano. She's super cool and always fun to talk with, so without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Uh, welcome to What's Your Forte. First, can you briefly explain your current positions? Sure, yeah, it's, there's a few of them. Firstly, I'm a professional musician, so I play bass clarinet, and mostly what I do is I play my own music, I improvise, or I play music by living composers. In addition to that, I work at Wilfrid Laurier University. I teach a couple courses there in improvisation. In addition to that, I also, uh, I'm a researcher, and I've published a couple articles, have a couple more on the way. I'm very involved in the local music community and I also work as an artistic director. So there's a local concert presenter producer in Kitchener-Waterloo called Numis, and I'm the artistic director of that organization. So I basically make all the decisions in terms of um, uh, programming and I decide what artists we're going to bring in, what the look and feel of each season's going to be, make all the uh, all those fun artistic decisions. So then let's jump back to the very beginning of uh, your musical journey. What first brought you to uh, pick up an instrument or get interested in music? Yeah, so I actually, I feel like I probably started maybe a little bit later than, than most people. Um, and, and oddly enough, even though I, I play a wind instrument now, I actually started with, uh, with the keyboard was my first instrument. I think I was probably about 12 years old. My grandfather had bought a keyboard sometime in the 80s, barely used it before he passed away. And then it, the keyboard was just kind of sitting in, in my grandma's house. And eventually she just asked my mom, if I would want it and if I would want to learn and of course I jumped at that I really wanted to but my my parents were reluctant to let me because um, I'd quit everything I started <laughs> in my childhood so like I did dance lessons and like you know I quit that and I hated that and, and skating anything athletic I was terrible at and quit that so they just assumed that music would be the same thing and they didn't want to spend money on lessons and all this, this stuff just for me to give it up but music was the, the one and only thing Thing that uh, that I did stick with and I didn't give up so I did that private lessons on keyboard for for years and then uh, when I got into high school uh, I wanted to take music classes and they told me that I had to pick a different instrument one that uh, I, I wasn't already familiar with so I picked the saxophone I really wanted to learn the saxophone because um, because my dad played the saxophone and and we owned one so I thought that would be really fun but the school only had so many so <laughs> they ran out of saxophones before they got to me <laughs> so my my teacher actually gave me the bass clarinet as a consolation prize it was like 
you can't have the saxophone, but this is the closest thing. So take this. And, and I was not happy about it. I, I was really bummed because I didn't want to play bass clarinet, but um, it didn't take long and I fell in love with it. And then I just enjoyed it so much more than, uh, than keyboard. So eventually I, I just stopped taking keyboard lessons. I focused only on bass clarinet when I went to university. I basically played only bass clarinet. I mean, I, I play a little bit of other woodwinds. I did pick up the saxophone later, but that's just kind of recreational playing. I guess, is it soprano clarinet is like the popular one that most people play? Yeah, yeah, soprano clarinet. Did you ever end up playing that or was it just always bass clarinet? Yeah, so all throughout high school, I, I just focused on bass clarinet. I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about, you know, sort of like what would happen in the university and, and, and these weird ideas and attitudes, you know, that the sort of classical music tradition has. So what happened was then when I applied to university, no one would let me play bass clarinet. So they're like, oh, you can't do that. Like you can play bass clarinet in our ensembles, but you can't study it. It was at that point where I was like, oh, I better like learn how to play the clarinet. I hope it's not that hard. And of course I couldn't get it up to the same level, but I did audition one piece on clarinet. The audition panel said, yeah, you play clarinet like a bass clarinetist. And I'm like, well, yeah, because <laughs> like, that's what I am. But yeah, then at that point I kind of thought, okay, I need to like work up my clarinet skills a bit. Anyone that knows me knows that I pretty much avoid playing clarinet as much as I can. I, I like, I do occasionally get hired for a show where I have to do it, but I kind of have a rule that I will only do it if uh, there's a piece that I need to play that requires both instruments. So if, the, if one piece of music has, you know, a clarinet section and then you have to switch to bass clarinet, I've done those, but that's, that's it. I won't do anything else. And I did a show um, a few years ago. I remember showing up to the rehearsal with a regular clarinet and everyone just looked at me so weird and they're like, that just looks wrong. Like, what are you doing with that little instrument? It's like, you're not supposed to have one of those. Exactly. <laughs> so then what drew you to study it in post-secondary and pursue bass clarinet as like a career? Yeah, so I, I just knew that basically in, in, in school, like music was really the only thing that... I, I think that I was really good at and that um, I really loved doing, you know, like there, there just wasn't any other subject in school that I was drawn to. It wasn't until I was actually in university, I kind of got um, immersed in a lot of different music programs, you know, met some really interesting people that, you know, students and professors kind of just felt like the stars aligned where it's like, yeah, this is, this is what I want. This is where I want to be. After I finished my bachelor's degree, you know, I took a, a couple years off, figure out direction in life. And then I decided that I wanted to do uh, a master's program after that in performance. And I did that at the University of Calgary. So I heard or read this somewhere. Were you the first person to do bass clarinet like as a performance or like masters at the University of Calgary? I was, yeah. I was the very first master's student in bass clarinet. I want to say that I was the first student ever because I'm pretty sure I was, including the bachelor program as well. I'm not 100% sure. I'm, I'm like 90% sure that I, that I was, but I was not the last. And, and as I understand it, because I'm still in touch with my teacher out there, that there have been a few of them that came after me. So it, it's kind of cool. So why did you choose uh, the University of Calgary after Waterloo? Yeah, so I chose it for um, 
a few reasons, mainly because I really wanted to like dive into my instrument. Not only do a lot of schools not accept it, although that that is changing, there's also like very few uh, faculty members to teach it that really know the instrument. Like more often than not, it's it's a clarinetist that maybe doesn't even own a bass clarinet that, you know, will borrow one to kind of play in the symphony when it's required. And like, to me, that's not, I didn't want to learn from someone like that because then I might as well just learn clarinet because I'm not learning from someone that knows the insides and the outsides of the instrument. So one of the reasons why I chose Calgary was because that's where Stan Climey was uh, teaching and Stan is a uh, bass clarinetist. He is a clarinetist as well and he was really involved in the new music community in Calgary. So meaning music that was written by living composers and played by people in the area. And that was a world that I was just really interested in. And, and Stan was really well connected. Uh, he knew the music written for the bass clarinet, the repertoire, he knew that really, really well. So he seemed like an ideal person to work with, but also I, I just kind of wanted to, to move away, be somewhere new, all new people. And, uh, and I did have some, and still do have some family out in Calgary. So like, it seemed like the ideal place to be. There was a, a gap, I guess, after Calgary, before you started studying at York and there was some other studying and teaching involved in that. I want to just explain that time period. I discovered improvisation during my master's program. One of my ensemble courses was just called New Music Ensemble. And, uh, but part of the class was improvisation. So my professor um, made us improvise sort of like as a, as a warm up to every ensemble rehearsal. We'd always do an improvisation in our concerts too. And I, and I have to admit like they were bad. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't good music at all, but it was fun. Like I enjoyed doing it, but it kind of made me realize that, hey, this is kind of an interesting thing and I'd like to explore it more. At the very least, I just kind of wanted to be able to show up to a rehearsal or a gig. And if I'm required to improvise even just a little bit, like I wanted to be able to do that. So I had this idea that I'd go to Montreal for a year and study with Laurie Friedman. She's a bass clarinetist. In my opinion, she is certainly Canada's greatest bass clarinetist and, and one of the greatest in the world. And a lot of what she focuses on is improvisation. And, and she is also considered to be like one of the, the greatest improvisers as well. If I could get some money, it would be a, a good opportunity for me to to go there. And uh, when I was doing my master's, I learned all about grants and grant writing. Uh, one of my projects and one of my required classes is we actually had to write a mock grant application. So I used that experience and I put together my first grant application to move to Montreal and study with Laurie for a year. And, um, and I got it. So I went to Montreal for a year, worked with Laurie, learned so much about improvising, but also really improved my technique on the bass clarinet as well. And then I actually ended up back where I started in uh, in KW because that's where I grew up and I got a job at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University not teaching though I, I don't know if you you know this I worked in the music office my position's gone now but I was called the uh, concerts and auditions coordinator uh, it was kind of through that experience that I, I met like all these amazing local musicians like not just the professors but the students too and I formed bands with some of the people that were students there at the time that are still collaborators of mine that was a really pivotal time even though my job wasn't anything to do with performance that really changed things for me and then I kind of went from there to teaching and I started by teaching musical skills one which I did once and then after that I started teaching uh, my improv courses in that time was that when stealth with Richard Burroughs kind of came about 
That's right. Yeah. Shortly after I started working there, I was asked to join a band called Digital Prowess. And it was made up of uh, Richard Burroughs was in that, as well as students at Laurier at that time, uh, Thomas Boda and Joe Ryan. Jason White was the leader of the ensemble. So then when did uh, Numis come about? So Numis started back in, in 1985, but obviously I wasn't part of it then. I mean, I'd always heard about it. I always knew it was there, but I just became more interested and it when once you know I was sort of like out of school and looking to build a professional career and they had just hired a new artistic director Jesse Stewart and they were looking for new members to join their board of directors so I did that I volunteered to join their board of directors that kind of gave me my first experience I think I was only on the board for about a year maybe two and then I just kind of continued to go to numerous concerts maybe around 2011 or something, uh, Glenn Beer was the artistic director and then he asked me to join the board again, so I did. And then there was a staff vacancy for a uh, director of operations position. I started doing that actually, and then from there, I became general manager of Numis, and then Glenn left in the middle of the season. So the organization was kind of in a, in a really tough situation. It didn't have an artistic director. So um, the board asked me to do it just on a temporary basis, like just to kind of get us through the season. And then we would do a proper search. But the board really liked my work and my curation. So they ultimately decided not to do a search and to offer me the the position permanently and then i'm still there and then when did york come into play okay so i took nine years off between my master's degree and a doctorate and the reason why i decided to go back to school was because I had started to teach at Wilfrid Laurier and and I absolutely loved it. Like it, it truly is one of my absolute favorite things to do. Once I got my first experience in that, I didn't want to stop and I just wanted to do more and more of it. And I kind of came to this realization that the, the way that the university system works is that when candidates are up against each other for a job, even if you have one that is maybe the ideal, perfect, most amazing candidate for the job, if the other candidate has a doctorate degree and the first one doesn't, the one with the doctorate degree will, will get the job pretty much every single time. And I realized that if this was something that I was really serious about and I really loved it and I wanted to advance and, and do more of it, like I felt that I had to get a doctorate degree to, to sort of make myself competitive in that world. So I did make that decision. And then in 2012, I started in a PhD program at York University. And the reason why I chose York over all the others, uh, well, for two reasons. One, it was close enough to Kitchener that I could commute because I was worried about giving up my teaching work because I really didn't want to. And if I went to a university farther away, like I probably would have had to. And then the second reason I chose York was I just felt it was the perfect place for me because that's where Casey Sokol was teaching. He's since retired. Casey also is, is sort of like one of those big monumental figures in the Canadian improvisation world. Like he was really one of the founding figures of the improv scene here. And he's absolutely huge. Like he's known across the world. And I knew he was near retirement. I knew he was only going to be there for a few more years. And I thought, you know, this is my opportunity to kind of learn from someone really incredible. And I was his last doctoral student at York. He influenced me greatly. I learned so much from him. And so much of what I learned from him, I actually take into my classes now. And he was a huge influence on my research as well. 
Awesome. We included a fast five rapid round and you have to answer the first thing that you think of. There's no time limit. First thing that pops in your brain. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Favorite concert you attended? Uh, Zappa plays Zappa uh, in downtown Kitchener at the Element nightclub. Your favorite movie soundtrack? 2001 A Space Odyssey. An instrument that you wish you played? Uh, the didgeridoo. Music that you listened to growing up? Uh, 80s hair metal. And last one, a hidden talent. Uh, I paint. That was the rapid round. <laughs> well, okay, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> Bandology is a proud Canadian nonprofit dedicated to more music for more kids via education, collaboration, and community. Find out more at bandology.ca. Can we go through your different recordings and albums that you've put out up until Masked? For sure, yeah. So I have basically three professional releases. The first one I released, I believe it was 2010. It was my first solo album called Open. And basically with that album, I just, I was reaching a point in my career where I felt I need to have like a professional release, something that I can distribute and give to people and sell at shows. And also to just kind of show off my my music. So I had this idea for my album Open. Uh, it's a combination of several things. It does feature several of my own pieces on it. Some of them are solo pieces and several pieces were written for me by different composers from different provinces and, and different countries. And in addition to that, I used it to kind of showcase the improv work that I was doing at the time and, and the different bands I was working with. So I have a band called Stealth, which is involves myself on bass clarinet and Richard Burroughs on percussion. The first Stealth track ever appears on my album open and it's the opening track called further reflection and then there's several other pieces on there that were recorded with uh, with friends and collaborators that i was working with at the time it's kind of a mishmash of a whole bunch of things the second one is with my band stealth uh that album is called listen and we released it in 2015 stealth mostly improvises but we didn't start that way we actually started as a band that played new music compositions when people went to our concerts, they'd tell us like, man, we really like that, really great. But but when you guys improvise, like that's your best stuff. So then we decided like, why are we learning all this music then if people don't even like it as much? So then we kind of turned into like an improv mostly band and the album Listen is, is all improvised music. So we received a grant for that. I received a grant to do my first album as well from the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund. Uh, Stealth received a grant from there as well. Um, that album was quite expensive to make because we had a specific producer in mind um, named Ray Dillard and he's kind of like a specialist in recording percussion and he lives in Barrie so you know we had to pay for travel and putting them up and all that stuff but we spent four full days I think we we started at like 10 in the morning and would go to like four take a lunch break and we would just play all day long for four days and then the goal was at the end of that like find the album in there man that process of listening to that much material like hours and hours and hours and just not only picking out what you think is the best but also agreeing with the other person on what is the best and then you know why and what order it goes in like that process took forever and then my most recent album is masked and it came out earlier this year it is an exclusively solo album and i wanted to create an album that just kind of showcased what I do as a solo artist. Um, so it is also 100% 
improvised. There are no compositions on that album. It was meant to be a companion piece to my dissertation. I'd always had the idea that, you know, once I finished my degree, I'd write this dissertation, I'd defend it, and then I'd make the companion album to go with it. And that's what MAST is. And so basically what my dissertation research was about, improvised music, and it looked at, you know, kind of like how that affects us mentally. And it was inspired by my work as a teacher, really, also as a player, but mostly as a teacher and kind of like observing how my students would play differently, uh, depending on the situation. So like if I turned the lights off, they would they would act very differently. And, you know, if I if I made them improvise using just their voices, they would act very differently. So I, I kind of created a whole bunch of different parameters for people to improvise in. And then the research is, is just based on the results from that. The research showed was that for people that are that are improvising, their instrument sort of serves the purpose as a mask. You know, the field of, of drama, that's probably where we associate wearing a mask the most. That's a technique that's used in acting and improvising, where you wear a mask and you sort of embody that character you are able to um, almost get past yourself like it allows you to to open up become more confident you know express more parts of yourself than you can you know sort of when without that mask and I discovered that the instrument serves the same function so it allows you to open up more to connect more with other people to give you more confidence and, and it just gives you another vessel to express yourself to communicate and so with the album I kind of took elements of that to inspire a solo album so would get into a certain headspace when I was recording the music inspired by that research and uh, and then again I just I chose like my my favorite 10 tracks that uh, that I felt made the most sense to be on that project. That's super cool. You already mentioned uh, Casey and Lori but I was just wondering if you could um, talk about some mentors or some influences um, in your career and how that affected you. So obviously Casey and Lori are big ones. Um, Stan Climey, my teacher in Calgary, was another big one. But in terms of, of sort of like more influences that I had by that maybe I didn't personally know or didn't work with, um, certainly the the great bass clarinetist Eric Dolphy is is one of my absolute biggest influences. So he was a, a multi-instrumentalist, but he was kind of considered the first jazz bass clarinetist. He has some absolutely amazing albums and they're kind of all over the place because some of them are like really traditional, like kind of fun, listenable jazz and others are like really weird, <laughs> like really out there. And uh, I just love like the diversity of, of his music. One of the reasons why I learned to improvise was I always strive to kind of be the musician that can thrive in any environment. And I always felt like Eric Dolphy was kind of that. Like he just could do anything and everything and make it brilliant. There's a couple of other bass clarinets that were big influences for me, like Michael Lowenstern. And I really love his compositional work and I love how he integrates bass clarinet with technology. So he's been a big influence of mine. But also I'd say like the people that came from the jazz world definitely would be John Coltrane would be a huge influence of mine also Miles Davis it's interesting to listen to those musicians from that time period and just hear where they started from and it's you know very accessible it's very easy listening and then it just like evolved to these really interesting and fascinating places so I would say musicians like that so then uh some fun anecdotes or career highlights that are just like something fun to share like just the opportunity ar arised 
Yeah. Well, I mean, being in my field, there's a lot of people that have crazy ideas and, uh, you know, I get to, to be involved in them because they ask me, which is awesome. One of the coolest events I ever played at, there were several years ago, the, the Open Ears Festival did this really cool event where they basically took over the Walper Hotel in downtown Kitchener and the Walper had given them a whole bunch of rooms that were vacant, rooms and public spaces. The festival made this like interesting and, and complex schedule. So they hired a whole bunch of artists and musicians and you'd have like a certain room that you had to be at at a certain time. And then people would just kind of come and go. They'd give the people a map. So the map would say, you know, where are the rooms that, that the musicians are in and what time is, is, you know, whoever playing. You can imagine how cool that was for the audience. You just spend the whole day walking around the hotel, going to different rooms and you would stay in the same room and you'd listen to something different every time. I do remember the one with Rich Burroughs in a traditional hotel room. And we had this idea that we wanted the people to come in and not know what was going on so the people came into the room I was hiding in the closet and he was hiding in the bathroom and then we'd like wait till a certain time and then we'd start playing so the people came in and they had no idea what was going on they thought they were in the wrong place because we were making no noise and um, anyways at the end we decided we'd finish and then we'd like, I'd come out of the closet and Rich would come out of the bathroom and we'd act like, oh geez, like act all surprised. It's like, where did all these people come from? And he went a step further. And at the end he started using um, the bathroom for sounds. So he's like flushing the toilet and he's like playing the drumsticks on like the, the sink and the faucet and uh, in the shower. He turned on the shower at one point and then at the very end, and I didn't know he was going to do this. He comes out of the bathroom, not only looking surprised, but uh, wearing only a towel and <laughs> and his drumsticks. That was one of my unforgettable things that I was involved in. It was so much fun. That's super cool. If there's any advice you could give to young musicians interested in the bass clarinet or improvisation, how would you suggest getting into that or steps for them to explore it? Yeah, well, my, my number one suggestion would be um, stick with it and don't listen to the naysayers um, because I, I heard it from everyone every step of the way. You know, like you can't learn the bass clarinet because like you won't be able to study that anywhere. anywhere. And, and then if you do, like you'll never have a career and no one will hire you. You need to learn the, the clarinet. Same with improvisation. Like, don't go down that path, like go, take a different path, you know, because there's, there's no future there. You know, I think I've done pretty well for myself and, and I'm really happy with the, the career that I've carved out. So I think it's really, really important. And, and this will happen if you feel that it's what you love and it's what you want to do and you want to continue doing it continue doing it like you'll find a way to figure it out that's all part of the journey and then the other thing would be like surround yourself with like-minded people so like for example if you want to get into improvisation one of the things that really helped me was i made sure that i practiced it regularly by getting a group of people together every week that were wanted to like explore this type of music and then you know over time you kind of like you come up with ideas and you're like hey wouldn't it be fun if we like put a concert together because this thing we're working on is really cool and then like it's as far as an instrument you know whether it's bass clarinet or or maybe another instrument that people tell you it's just just not one you can focus on the most important thing is you have to kind of just carve out your own niche you know like follow your heart and follow the direction that makes you happiest and you know for me it was everyone was telling me you know you have to learn clarinet because 
the only way you'll survive is if you have a symphony gig and you'll need clarinet for that. And I was like, well, I don't want to play in a symphony. Like I've never wanted to. You have to like look at the big picture because most musicians in the world don't work in symphonies. Like it's not the only option for you. And you can find your own options, like form your own bands, host your own concerts as well. And you'd be amazed at the kind of cool stuff that comes out of that. All right. And then the very last question of, do you have any, any exciting plans or new projects coming up? Yeah, I have, I actually have two. Um, it's funny when the, when the pandemic started, it's like a lot of my work just dried up or just got, you know, postponed indefinitely, but I've actually gotten some new projects come out of it too, which is kind of interesting because I'm not used to working um, virtually, but there's a really cool uh, virtual festival coming up in August. Um, it's just called IF, which st- just stands for Improvisation Festival. Uh, it's going to be an international uh, festival uh, that I don't know how long it goes for, but it's it's fairly significant, and it's going to feature improvising musicians from all across the world. So you're going to hear like all instruments, like all backgrounds, all kinds of really interesting people. And I was fortunate enough to get asked to be a part of that. So I have to record a video for that. And uh, so I'll be part of that festival and I'm super excited and I can't wait to watch it when it's all done. And I'm involved in this other project that was affected by COVID called uh, River Chance. And there's a group of artists in, in Guelph, Ontario that started this project and it's it sort of like involves music and visuals and poetry and just fuses together all these different art forms sort of like around the theme of of water but it's turned into a recording project so now we've all been given music <laughs> to learn that's kind of just like basic instructions to improvise over and you also have to be responding to what you're seeing in the video because the musicians can't get together we're all like recording our parts separately and then the producer's gonna just like choose the material and the levels and all that stuff and just kind of like make it all work with like I think there's like 10 musicians or something. I've never worked that way before to like record a part that's improvised where I'm going to be one of many, but I can't hear what the other people are doing. So that's kind of a fun and interesting project to be a part of. And I'm really uh, keen to hear how that turns out too. The power of technology. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's awesome. So then that's the end of the questions. So thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, taking us through your career. If people want to learn a little bit more about you or Numis or anything, uh, where can they go? Uh, they can go to my website. It's, uh, it's just my name, www.catherinledano.com. Uh, or you can check out Numis and their address is numis.ca. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being uh, a guest on this series. Once again, a big thank you to Catherine for taking the time to talk to me and to be on the second episode of What's Your Forte? And thanks to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen or watch this interview. If you want to stay up to date on What's Your Forte episodes, you can subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks for joining us on What's Your Forte, presented by Bandology. If you liked what you heard, you can find out more about this series and our organization at bandology.ca, which features information about research, advocacy, and music education, and our band camp and play a gig programs. Follow us on social media for more videos and performances on Instagram and Facebook.